Yo, this is the Ancient Texan. Uh, what's coming up is a little different. It's the Delaware Art Museum Virtual Poetry Circle. I'm about halfway through. It's pretty long, so you need to be in a mood to listen to a lot of amateur poets um, reading their works. This is the Ancient Texan. Hoping you enjoy. Namaste. To the very first Wilmington Writers Virtual Open Mic Night. My name is Eliza Jarvis, Manager of Creative Partnerships at the Delaware Art Museum. Tonight, we are bringing one of our ongoing programs from our writing community to you. The Delaware Art Museum has a rich history of celebrating the written word alongside a visual art. This year, we will host our fourth annual Wilmington Writers Conference, virtually on Saturday, July 17th. For more information on writing programs at the museum, you can visit delart.org or follow us here on Facebook. If you like what you see tonight, please consider donating to the museum or becoming a member. All of your funds go directly to making this museum a possibility and allow us to do the work of providing a space for art to happen. Tonight, we have 20 writers who will be sharing their work with us. They come from all over the nation and will be sharing everything from poetry to children's literature. Each speaker will only have three minutes and our MC for the evening is Tracy Curry, a member of the Wilmington Writers Conference Committee. Slots for this evening's event went quickly, so if you were not able to snag a piece of the stage tonight, please keep your eyes out for our next event. One disclaimer before we begin. This is a live performance and it will not be censored. It is possible that some writers will address adult themes and topics and no language will be beeped out. Please be aware if you are watching with children and do so at your own discretion. And now, Without further ado, please welcome your MC for the evening, Tracy Curry. Hi all, I'm here with you, let me, okay, there you go. All right, so it's so great to be here and to be your MC for the evening and to share with you and to get into the spirit of literature. Um, I have my Toni Morrison on one side and my Nina Simone on the other side. So I'm ready to go and I hope all of you are ready to go. So we're gonna jump right into it with our 20 artists. Um, I wanna just jump right in because I'm familiar with a few and the others that I haven't heard, I'm excited to hear your work. And so coming to the stage first, I'm quite familiar with this, this artist's work um, and just really excited to hear her uh, push forward with the poetry and the stories that she's sharing, Rebecca Balmer. The first title of my poem, the first title of the poem I'm gonna read is called Undecided. In this darkness, I see no light, no path lit by candle or moon, and the dark is consuming me, consuming me whole, whole mind, whole body, whole spirit, being sucked up into the night. The stars in my sky have dimmed, the North Star has disappeared, 
no longer able to guide me home. But what is home? A physical place, a place in my heart, an imaginary place only in my dreams. My dreams are so big, too big to hold in my hands, too big for words, words spoken from a mouth that longs to be able to tell a story, a story worth writing, a story worth reading, a story worth living. And what does it mean to live? Do I want to anymore? I'll decide tomorrow. My next poem is called Key to Forgiveness. What is to forgive? They say, forgive and forget. But can I forgive and remember? What about remember and not forgive? Some say forgiveness is the key to your happiness. I believe that. But I also believe not forgiving can be the key too. And where do keys lead us? To new destinations. They open doors to new opportunities. They unlock hearts. Hearts built behind walls. Walls made of so many different emotions. Created from heartache and pain, disaster and suffering and trauma. Breaking down walls is not always easy. Unlocking hearts is not always easy. Opening doors is not always easy. Forgiveness is not always easy. But not easy should not mean and does not mean we do not try. And the last piece I'm going to read for you is called Silver Linings. After all is said and done, I will see the rising sun. My darkness will subside and a new day will shine. Silver linings follow all dark stories. Stories told by mouths that kiss lies. Lies told by accident. Accidental lies. Promises meant to be kept but broken. Two hearts broken but one heart shattered. The pieces can be assembled again, this I know, for I know the plans declared for me, plans to prosper and not to harm, plans for hope and a bright future. The silver linings to this story, my story is unclear, but I know it is out there somewhere. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Silver lining, forgiveness, um, relationships that she talks about. Um, so that that brings us into the space we're in, because I think a lot of us are talking about that now. Coming up to the stage next is another creative spirit, um, Dami Boo. To be announced. Love in the time of COVID to be announced openings and closings to be announced, life on hold at the whim of viral transmissions and the self-hypnotic prophecies of catching things that stop only on the wings of social distancing or the shaman snap of the finger on, and a wisp of smoke. Whirligigs in the wind, gas holes in the White House, still the seeds grow. Sitting in the comp campground on the hill above Brandywine Creek, shocked by the shutdown and too much noise in the news. I breathe in the wind and the smell of old ashes in the fire pit remind me that so much is still the same in spite of the news cycle. I'm still okay. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in is the cycle of life. 
I sow seeds, corn, beans, squash, three sisters when I want, three brothers, to lay arms entwined up to our corn hills and musky silk, covered in explosions of golden pollen. Abenaki corn survived the snowy winter, summer of 1814. And Philip's copper-hued cob thrusted it out of the silken stalks in 1620, when my ancestors came upon Plymouth with Puritan ways. While I strive to come upon flinty pheromone, then spreading sacred seeds. 1534, Gaspé flint corn matures quickly on two foot stalks in the flash of warmth that is the Canadian maritime summer, while Seneca's pole beans twines with twines round. Heirloom seeds, magic beans, multicultured cultures, and orgasmic diversity abounds. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Time waits for no one. Time and space do not exist in the God of the present. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Our eyes grow twinkly star smiles. Open pollination occurs. My pale white Puritan ass does not blush. Bean stalks grow into the white hummingbird sticking beaks into the scarlet flowers of runner beans, announcing nothing, announcing everything, announcing everything that's worth announcing. If life's on hold, if your life's on hold, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, and cometh upon Plymouth, for he is God. Thank you. Amibu takes us on a, on a time ride and he allows us to play with the senses, breathe in, breathe out, and he gets to right to the point to be announced. Thank you, Damibu. Next to the stage is Beth Doolin. Hi, I'm Beth Doolin and I'm coming to you from the Eastern Shore of Maryland. I'm happy to be here. And I have two pieces to read for you. The first one is, my dreams are full of dead men. My dreams are full of dead men for Joe O'Connor, 1941 to 2020. And I feel like I've had my fair share of staring into expensive wooden boxes at well-dressed bodies with waxy faces, just rubber masks of those I once knew and loved. And you're quarantined in a hospital bed in a city that used to be my home. And there's nothing I can do but pray, set spells, and try to reach you to say, you can't go now. You have more to give us. You survived Vietnam, for God's sake. When you were asked at your poetry reading if you kept a journal of the time you were there, you said no. I had one thing on my mind and that was to live. And the other piece I'm reading is called In Another 10 Years. In another 10 years, it'll be known as a time of thunderous interruptions in the taunting form of lessons learned. Smacked in the face so hard, the force of it keeps landing you on the ground. 
left with no defense. Each instance slowly winding down until you're dead on the table, just in time to be struck by lightning, lifted up and spun around. The kindness of strangers, a defibrillator against your chest, forcing the life back in. Years from now, you'll remember it for what it has become, a time to be still, to stop moving in circles, to turn inward and face what always being too busy has helped you to avoid. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Beth. I was listening to the steadiness of your voice and the yearning, talking about survival and living. Thank you. Thank you. And to the stage next, the, the virtual stage is Tara Elliott. with her tongue, even the hind, the eating of the afterbirth, the throwing of her head back to get it to the far recess of her throat, the chewing of the cord with hind teeth until mother freed pup from herself, and on she went again to the panting, breath heavy with labor until the next sack appeared, clear and glistening in the dim bathroom light. I think every child should see this at least once, my mother whispered, finger to her lips, my father's snores percolating from their shared bed in the other room. The pale blue of her bathrobe ribboned with tissue and blood, she took my hand in her own and placing it on the new mother's head, together we patted and stroked our dog through four more births. The last one, the final pup not moving, not breathing, not coming into life, even with its sack broken and the mother dog tired of prodding for breath. Was it dead? My mother scooped that runt into the palm of her hand, swept the inside of its toothless mouth with the tip of her smallest finger, a tiny sputter of liquid, the rasp of oxygen into minuscule lungs. I, not knowing in the stillness of that moment that I was holding my own breath, but once more breathe. And my second poem tonight is called Honeysuckle. Petals softer than skin, cup nectar deep and wait. The precise moment the tongue tip touches the smallest of drops. I inch along wooden fences, climb over the tops of these trees, even across the shale, 
I want you in your Shenandoah honeysuckle craze the sunshine. Thanks. <laughs> I'm smiling because of the words that all of you are sharing are powerful. Um, thank you for sharing about your mother. That was powerful, the birth. Coming to the stage next is Jacinta Fontanelle. Thank you. My poem says, uh, um, I have three poems. And the first one is, and they are, they, they are from my recent book called Contemporary Psalms, 365 Daily Reflections, on, available on Amazon. My young black gentleman, my son, my young black gentleman, is on the list of endangered species, if not in reality, in the minds of a society that claims to believe in the ideal of the right of every citizen and the pursuit of happiness. He's a young man like any other, growing in a unique environment that fashions and challenges each individual differently, but yet because of his skin color and continued societal misinformation, he is considered one of a kind, one of a group, hooligans all. One of the group of hooligans, a kind of person who has no genuine goals or dreams, who has no feelings or concerns, a threat to this great society of ours, these hooligans against us all. Other young people are allowed to tell their story. Which, which have shaped their lives and dreams. But where is the voice of my young black gentleman? Why is it muted, hidden in the media propaganda? Second poem, his battle. In his battle for survival, he has lived through many attempts to break his spirit, often misunderstood by those whom he expects to understand. For his prospects are so often restricted by those ignorant of who he is. Those who have chosen to let propaganda and fear dictate their actions and reactions. Those for whom empathy and understanding are only ideas, restricted to a select few. This is not a new trend. For a hundred years or so ago, men did not hesitate to capture and enslave his ancestors, using their sweat and tears to build wealth, wearing his ancestors' pain like regal ornaments and cherished robes. Today, he is often at risk of, of being captured and incarcerated, detained, so they claim, for the safety of us all. His dreams and hopes to be destroyed, his existence to become barely a statistic. My final poem is Hopes and Dreams. Hope continues to flourish in this jungle of hopelessness. In spite of it all, little lights are kept burning. As the enlightened work tirelessly, tirelessly to help others understand that my young black gentleman has dreams. Like all young men the world over, his dreams may never be heard 
but they nonetheless exist. The dream of a voice not negated by the color of his skin. The dream of a strength that is not a threat because of the color of his skin. The dream that a mistake does not become a crime because of the color of his skin. The dream of, of, of opportunity not associated with the color of his skin. Dreams, 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 colorless dreams. No different from those of every other young man who has lived through the ages. Dreams of growing from childhood to manhood. Dreams of being helped to answer the questions. Who am I? What is it like to be a man? What kind of man should I become? Who are my role models, my examples? Thank you. Thank you, Jacinta. You took us back to the past as a reminder and then you brought us up to the present hope. I'm coming to the stage next is Maurice Gray. This is a short excerpt from my novella, Like a Brother. I call this Misadventures in Babysitting. Two hours in the kid fest and I was still in one piece. Wreck-It Ralph had their total attention and the baby was on my shoulder falling asleep. I just might survive this. As soon as I thought this, the doorbell rang and woke him back up. Now I had to see who was ruining my feet. I opened the door just a crack and two tornadoes and matching pink and green outfits blew past me. Uncle Jay! Three of my five senses engaged. I felt Carmen and Angie hit my legs so hard they almost took me down. I heard an engine rev and saw the back of my brother Joel's car speeding away from the curb at Warp 9, the car I paid to get back from the repo shop. Carmen held up her Doc stuff in his backpack. Daddy said, because all the other kids are here, he'd let us come too and stay all night. I could only imagine the look on my face. This ain't gonna end well. Queen Carmen the first and picking Princess Angie are about to start World War III up in here, and there's nothing I can do about it, except call for backup. When my sister Denise arrived, she looked nauseatingly fresh. I'm pretty sure I was the poster boy for disheveled. She took one look and started laughing, and I couldn't blame her. I had the baby screaming in my ear, Todd was holding my legs so tight that my sweatpants were coming down, and World War III going on in the family room, where Carmen and Angie were doing what they did best, causing chaos. Janice put her overnight bag down, took one look around and shook her head. Man, okay, step aside, I'm gonna handle this. She waited into the melee, and everything went deathly quiet. Two seconds later, she came out with a terrorist twin on each hand, and I was, I could not believe what was going on here. I put the movie back on for the kids who wanted to finish it. These two are with me, you can get back to what you were doing with the rest of them. Carmen and Angie followed Janice without a word, and the other kids ran off to watch through the movie. I never thought this house would know peace again. And right on cue, the baby ended his involuntary insomnia and passed out on my shoulder. If I live to be a hundred, I'll never understand how she did that. And Joel won't live to see his next birthday once I get fluid. That's an excerpt from my novel, Like a Brother. Thank you. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> that was 
humor. <laughs> that was a good moment of humor. And I'm thinking all of us have been in a situation where we are with little ones and it and it's on. <laughs> Thank you, Maurice. Um, coming to the stage next is Connie Johnson. My name is Connie Johnson. I am grateful to be in the right room. Even though it's virtual, it is the right room right now and I am excited to be here. Um, the title of this piece is They Can't Kill Us All and it is dedicated to the memory of Ahmaud Arbery. Centuries old war tactics produce generations of degradation, yet we stand. Battle flag planted firmly into the psyche of society be afraid, be very afraid. Stare down your brother in suspicion. Side eye your sister with apprehension. Unseen enemies creep along unsuspecting shorelines, desecrating ways of being, bringing with them rum and gunpowder. So drunk with their own propensity to pound with iron fists, they missed. Didn't understand the nature of this fight is nature itself. They can't kill us all tried every strategy written in the handbook of genocidal horror, yet we soar beyond grim predictions of our fate. It's easier than you think to become exactly what you hate, yet we resist in choir stands in foreign lands, resist the urge to return fire. Instead, we use it to keep warm and grill our sorrows away. We gather and replenish with every reminiscence, trying to make common sense of their tenacity to destroy we Fathers of the fathers of the fathers of the fathers have tried and failed. The ships they sailed sank at the point of reconstruction. It was the moment we discovered who we be. Temporary amnesia, our only malady, yet we'll be here for eternity because they simply can't kill us all. Thank you. Thank you, Connie. Thank you for reminding us right here, right now, what's going on in the midst of the pandemic. Everyday lives, every story is important. Um, coming to the stage next is David Kozinski. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Good evening. I'm going to read uh, two poems that were recently published in the Broadkill Review. First one is titled Earthly Places, and there's an epigraph from a Joanna Newsom song. And all that I knew is moving away from me. Earthly Places. The sign on the office door reads, Gone where the clock really jumps from the wall in exasperation at the lateness of hours where donkeys spit eulogies that fall like bricklebrit in the palms of refugees. Yes, it's a long message, because in places like that, gears reconsider why they are and retard their tuning. The key fits and the latch slips open, spoons fill themselves, and moonless drifting evenings fork in such places, the song I wanted to remember lingers in that first terrible moment of waking, and there is just a sputter of time 
to profitably retrace my trespasses. And the second one is called Soiree dans Grenade. It's after the Claude Debussy piece. Mix a quip with a droplet of Cinzano and an olive in an ice cube and lean forward to suggest attention. It is, after all, transactional. Look at her magenta lips as they pronounce argent and make eye contact, but don't bore in. You're not taking a biopsy. She's taking requests. A little Spanish fly may flutter up from under the bridge of her guitar and buzz around the rafters. This and the heat could prove distracting. The ice and everything melts quickly in these climes, marking the time you have. Her irises turn lavender, which is my favorite scent. Yours too? You may have more time than I thought. Count the hibiscus blossoms silently in the honey drip of twilight and concentrate on her tune, languid and undulating between modes that won't be pinned down. They only live in these strings. Thank you. So many lines stick with me. Irises turn lavender. That's what I'll be thinking about. Thank you so much, David. Coming to the stage next is Cass Lewis. Hi, I'm Cass Lewis, and I'm going to read an excerpt from my forthcoming novel, Staring into the Sun. It was unbelievable that I was actually still alive. And on occasion, especially back then, during my early adult years of hiding in San Francisco under the protective fog of alcoholism, when the city was reaching its last days of livability, I wondered if I was, in fact, dead and drifting through some kind of bizarre afterlife where no one realized we were really dead because we were too busy enjoying our slum paradise inhabited by old hippies, entrepreneurs, illicit and legit, hipsters, dot-commers, homeless, artists, immigrants and LGBTQ exiles, each vying to call the city home. Palm trees lined the uneven, hilly streets. The fragrance of sliced mango from the fruit stands and the scent of freshly baked tortillas wafted in the breeze. The weather was never too cold nor too hot. Colorful parades regularly stopped traffic, celebrating diversity. Affordable happy hour drinks still existed if you knew where to go. And since so many people had arrived in the city escaping another life, no one pried or judged you the way they might if this were another sort of town. Cities were the best places to hide because they were populous and everyone shared the expectation of anonymity. People were too busy to notice you. You might live in the same apartment for years and never meet your next door neighbor. And there was no pressure to. There was no need to own a car or a house or anything that would offer up your name to the public domain. You could sublet an apartment and keep your name off the lease. Public transportation was reliable. As long as you had money, you could pay cash for everything and avoid paper trails. 
If you stayed off social media or at least never revealed your location, you were golden. I'd become savvy about living and hiding. And because of this, I never described what I was doing that way. That would have been too melodramatic, something for a character in a spy novel. I was no spy, just a writer with a touch of PTSD. It had only recently occurred to me how similar the two were. Both thrived on making keen observations about one's surroundings and a general distrustfulness about the world ended up being crucial to survival. Over the past years, I'd wrestled with the shame and taught myself how to twist it into a strange sort of pride. I grew to appreciate my survival and the heightened reactions memories of trauma brought about in me. No one could sneak up on me because I was constantly on guard. For me, it wasn't a weakness, but a source of inner strength. And this confidence was perhaps why my student chose, to, chose me to help her on the day of the attack. Thanks. I did not see that ending coming, how powerful. <laughs> I wanna know more. So um, I was thinking about, even when you mentioned uh, diversity, celebrating diversity. So it makes me think of this space right here um, as writers that we are writing our identities for the world to hear. So I wanna thank everybody for sharing. We are halfway through. Reminder that uh, the Wilmington Writers Conference, July 17th, locked that down for all who are listening from Facebook Live. And so coming to the stage next, Renetta McMillan. Hello, uh, the two pieces I'm going to read are from my zine, Fat Black Girl in the Wheelchair. The first is Transmission. A man sails through clouds, unaware of the Okay. Can you start again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Start again. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right. A man sails through clouds, unaware of the star inside him. He sleeps the star goes nova. 10,000 black holes are born. And the last piece is called check-in. Friday is check-in day. And the rule is you call anyone you dreamed about during the week. Today it was Cecilia from my old job. Well, how the hell are you? She says, laughing. We were just talking about you yesterday. Then she goes on to bitch about new phone day. I mean, can you believe it? Seven in the morning and folks already mobbing the door. What wankers, she huffs. 
literally willing to die over some stupid phone. Meanwhile, the geese are holding their daily conference at the pall at the pond beyond the backyard, overjoyed they can finally cross the highway in peace. The trees bud, the flowers bloom. All is right with the meadow. I'm doing well, Cecilia tells me. I prayed on this. I've always known I'd be alive at the end of the world. But what if it's not the whole world, I want to ask. What if it's just us? Outside, the lawn has my answer, growing tall and wild without me. Thank you. Forgive me, I just had a quick moment um, where my computer froze. Thank you so much for sharing. And then coming to the stage next, just wanna make sure everybody can hear me. That's a yes, okay. Coming to the stage next is Hillary Livingston. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Hillary Livingston. I write subversive feminist poetry on women of the Bible. Tonight, I'm debuting a poem about Mary Magdalene and her story from the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight, verse two, called Tower. Mary's name is believed to have come from her hometown Magdala, which means Tower of Fishes. Tower. The church called her a prostitute. The men of Galilee had other names for her, none of which to be repeated in polite society. Her Lord called her Tower. To him, she was a pillar of strength, strong, like the rocks that weather the crashing sea. From her, he cast seven spirits, the spirit of inferiority that told her God preferred men, the spirit of imposter that told her she wasn't up to the job, the spirit of silence that told her no one would ever listen to her, the spirit of gaslighting that told her she was the one who was crazy, the spirit of insecurity that told her she would never be enough. The spirit of doubt that told her she couldn't. The spirit of fear that told her not to trust. He called her not in spite, but because of who she was. Where others tore down, he built up. In him, she was healed, restored, fortified, whole. In him, she found strength to stand. In the face of opposition, prejudice, and cruelty, to stand. In the truth of her convictions, to stand. And when all others scattered and fled, to stand. Her Lord called her tower. In his eyes, she was a pillar of strength, strong, like the rocks that weather the crashing sea. Thank you.
Thank you. The repetition, the list, um, the reminder. Thank you. And so next on the stage is Kath Mitchell. Thank you. This, hey everyone, this is my riddle alphabet. Which animal should always be invited to a picnic? An anteater. What is the Easter Bunny's favorite ball game? Basketball. Who is the grumpiest animal on the beach? The crab. Which key unlocks the barn door? The donkey. Which part of your body is a musical instrument? The eardrum. Where does a baker spend her free time? In her flower garden. What color did the gardener paint her house? Green. Which shark is a carpenter's best friend? The hammerhead. Which letter wears a pirate patch? The I. Which letter is a bird? The J. Which baby animals are the worst teasers? Kids. What is an astronaut's favorite sandwich? Launch meat. Which month is the most musical? March. Which planet likes to sing? Neptune. Which bird's name do you say when you get hurt? Owl! What is a veterinarian's favorite flower? Petunia. Who carries the money during football games? Quarterbacks. How does Mother Nature tie her packages? She uses rainbows. How do desert dwellers tidy their hair? They use sage brushes. Which letter is a hot drink? Tea. What do acrobats eat for dessert? Upside down cakes. Which is a car dealer's favorite ice cream flavor? Vanilla. Where do decorators get their, get their news? They read wallpapers. How does a musician call home? On his xylophone. Which color makes the loudest noise? Yellow. How do mail carrier spies send their messages? They use a zip code. I have been challenged to write the alphabet for every letter of the alphabet. I have 17 more to go and thank you. I love it. I'm so there. There is room for every bit of writing and every riddle, and we all need riddles. I started to make notes like anteater, hammerhead. (laughs) So thank you so much, Kev. Coming to the stage next, I am familiar with this awesome writer, Robert Odell. I've got three poems, uh, all of them about immigration written in 2018. They're all short to the point. First one's called Girl on Daddy's Back. Girl on Daddy's Back, traveling 
day after day until it is no longer fun. 1,000 miles on foot away from daddy's fears in a house where we used to laugh. Going to a land guarded by an orange troll where some people are good and others are mean. On this road, my dad is tired, but he is not afraid because he has me on his back. Next one's called Lady Freedom. Our grandfathers told the tale of our country before its fall, the mightiest GDP in all the world to spend or waste on our values big and small. We made the biggest bombs that shook the earth and our foes. Then we settled in to make stuff and court the fancy of young and old. To buy the lead we turned to gold, we stood for nothing more than all we could consume in our bellies and our greedy souls. Having killed the golden goose with bickering and neglect, we blame the other kind of people, the blacks, the grays, and those with foolish gods, and those from shithole countries. Till we melted down from a roaring fire within, fed by hate, half-truths, and distrust. For those of us who believed in Kaepernick and those that did not. And now our tale is told in lands both far and wide of a great country that once stood for freedom till they decided to tear Lady Freedom down because there was too little to share it with all. And the last one, uh, American religion. Human, all human, skin brown and burnt, seeking asylum two months walking to the promised land. At our border now, a week turned away, holding a child, leading one more. Now dead in the desert, beside empty water jugs, illegal to fill, because it's aiding and abetting, a human, all human, skin brown and burnt safe in the arms of our American religion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And so, continuing on down the list, listening to every single word, coming up to the virtual stage next is Betty O'Hearn. Good evening. It's a pleasure to read for everyone tonight. I'm speaking to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, so I'm probably one of the writers that's very far away. I have two poems I'd like to read to you tonight. The first one is called Wet Rituals. I was floating on the marsh before an unequaled summer day, glancing down into translucent water. Several blue crabs were beginning their dance of courtship. Crunching males, enticed with her pheromones, standing on rear segmented legs, claws open, craving her attention. She chooses aware that this is her chance of a lifetime, breeding only once. With rhythm like Ravel's bolero, 
She rocked side to side, enticing him with her V-shaped stomach apron and cherry-tipped fingers. Like a proud peacock looking only at her, he struts throwing sand in a whirling display of passion as she responds, waving her claws quickly in and out. The ritual comes to a quick halt as their intensity grows inside dark blue bodies, her fingertips becoming deepened red. He grabs her claws and swings her around into a gentle embrace that will last for at least eight hours. He carries her to protected bedroom cove. The female will begin her molt while he injects her in love's embrace. Miles from their first encounter, he drops her off into a new cold water home. Her new shell hardened. Two years will bring her brood and she will die after her cradle empties. The second poem is called The Borg Exit, and this is a story of a couple who choose, um, who lived their life together, but they chose to die together. Together they were professionals. Together they worked a farm. Together they raised five children. Together they traveled the globe. Together they learned technology. Together they faced their illness with thoroughness. Together, they decided when to let go. Together, they did their research. Together, they made their choice of exit. Together, they made their list. Together, they canceled their magazines. Together, they decided no funeral. And together, they placed a sheet on each side of their vehicle. Together, they climbed into the Chevy and together they held each other and died. Thank you. So the intimacy of between two, what I heard in the beginning and then the togetherness. Thank you so much, Betty. And so next to the stage is Oscar Sanders. My name is, is Oscar Sanders, and I'm reading from my uh, current book, Exposing Politics, a collection of poetry I performed in 10 different characters. This character is Captain Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean. The name of the poem is Ye Old Spoken Word. I dare ye sully thy reputation with unholy presumption. Cast ye main starboard like ruin among the bounty. Why must I look at you for inspiration? Why must I look at you ain't misbehaving? I've been sweeping the cupboards beneath your feet for a score and a day, plotting for the moment to eradicate slavery away. Contemporary slavery is very much among us, like botulism or rejected fungus. Not in the hinterlands where some wanted to be, or at least seemed to be. Within the far depths of your cranial bastions, within the delights of your Octavius fashions, ah, 
Yes, let's gaze upon you, young bishop. He's a dependable lad. You have ended his pursuit to be a university grad with your incessant dependent on low wages. Void of future sages. Winnie thy whip and shinny thy chain. I labor tirelessly for the East India. Today, learn the loin of my ilk, the texture of my silk. I'd write about it, but does he have the might? Ah, I doubt it. I have lived a life worth a tran of goat. More than 10,000 pages I have wrote. Keep underestimating the desire of a Negro. He will sow your country to a greater country. And if you smoke weed, you'll probably get the munchies. Forget about that. 15 men on a racket winch chest. Yo, ho, ho, how we get in this mess. I miss the Pirate matey, ahoy, ahoy, I am Lord Sanders, Oscar Sanders, who the hell are you? Thank you, Oscar. I heard it all, the spoken word, the accent, everything. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like that's a performance that you've been doing in different spaces. I'm interested in seeing the full breadth of all that you do. Um, coming to the stage next is Richard Spizak. Two poems from the COVID series called Hey Neighbor and Down from the Trees. When we dress to sally forth, we'll wear the mask and gloves, of course. Goggles for your pretty eyes, with earmuffs do we our oral portals hide. Our outfits snug from heel to tall, just to be sure we cover it all. We can't breathe Corona's aromas store, a provend of men or women more. And when we adventure out in all timidity, out to stores in our vicinity, that our larders might hold more than damaging spores and jars galore. We scrub the stuff upon its arrival, since we are occupied with our survival. We observe such gallantry in area of 16 feet exemplary, like isolated charges in the penitentiary. Do we our neighbors' feet so avoid, no stepping on toes or bumping heels and joint? And we few in our shopping are employed, barely whispered greetings, eyes adverted, skin enjoyed as we are petty burdens toted. We, our pleasures plundered from social grace split. We can't even an outdoor sitting shift with some chum of bygone days to rest when our every amusement we are now betrayed. No jest, no zest in hollowed gallows pressed. If a visiting neighbor beckons, a viral potential now is reckoned. A shouted greeting across the yard caused breathing closer now is barred. One day when old corona begins to lapse and no more troubles are each synapse, each severed nerve Afraid to its collapse, we'll wonder about these separate pleasures, now a burden, once a treasure. Oh, when casual friends lure and boys and girls will wildly murmur yours, what clashing sense will alarm when a warm hand or brush cheek betrays no harm? After Corona's visit, is it? 
and now down from the trees. Honey, baby, tell me, please, since we're not so long down from the trees, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, up in the branches or down on polished floors. We like reciprocal, you and me, ever since we balanced on limbs of trees, whether out in the car or up in the tree, I'll groom you and you groom me. The only thing now that's left for us, as the virus sets its fence between what we really feel, what we really mean, with you so far away on the other side of the glowing screen, another day. We wave weekly, how I miss your sweet perfume in the many ways, darling, you decorate a room. The distance Mars, our love sealed up behind the screen's glass walls untouched. Oh, honey, baby, tell me, please, since we're really not that long down from the trees, I wish you were here to find and pluck off all my fleas. We're isolated, out of touch, and miles away, my fingers clutch in disarray, my clothes askew. But I wouldn't give for you to have your seat beside me here with your fingers searching my matted hair, even to have you look with scorn at the piles of clothes across the floor. I've worn even, I'd even eat the toast you burn if I could be signed you, touch you, and warmly turn. Thank you. Richard of the Three Rivers, Rick Spiesack. I'm so ready for COVID-19, post-COVID-19, based off of everything you just said. <laughs> yes, coming to the stage next is Raymond Tyler. All right, uh, I have three quick poems from my book. I see something. Here's number one, I'm not a poet. I'm a man who carries a torch, waiting for melody to return. I call myself a poet. I write verses to pass the hours and days. I collect words in a book so that the months do not gang up on me in my sleep and they don't drown me in tears, but I'm not a poet. When nobody's looking, I pick up the phone and try to remember her phone number. I'm a man waiting on the one who got away to call and say, I was just playing right. I truly want to pick up our life where we left off. While I wait, I paint pictures to dilute my delusions. I paint in reds when my bed seems unusually big. I roll blue, I roll blues onto my paper when I get tired of begging God for a way to move on. I'm writing something good tonight with water and chocolate in each bite. A music so alive that you dance with it under the street light. But if you could look closely behind the words, you will see me hiding, wiping the tears from my eyes, still asking why. That's that one. Second one is called Song, like the here, here, go. It is a new song. It is a song that is heard now in South Africa. It is not the song that you sing, change to circumstance, or race or a chain to another man. It is sung by children who have no word for the word chain in their vocabulary. You can say that freedom is the melody or you are free to say that liberation is the tune or you are free to be free of labels altogether. It's that kind of song. It is a song that you are free not to sing at all. In Alabama on bridges where people march for freedom, it is a song you sing in Los Angeles when brown people burn the city in protests, suspects dying of head wounds in police custody. It is a song young boys sing 
on their way to school in the neighborhood where the natives said, there are no drug dealers here, and they meant it. It's sometime between 11.05 and midnight, between Philly and Newark. A girl hears a subway train. She writes her name on the moon. And freedom, tonight, sounds like a song. That's that one. And for my last poem tonight, I'd like to read a poem called Art, Friendship, and Everything. Finding a place for everything is backbreaking work. Take a lot of aspirin. If I were to ever have one, the time I need to be the artist God had in mind when he created me. Two, have the friends who only wanted to shine in their own sky and not mine. And three, have enough money to make the bill collectors camping outside my door go bother some other writer. I truly believe having all three at the same time and place would rip a, a space in the, would rip a hole in the space-time continuum. Cats and dogs would start getting married. Dinosaurs and flying cars would jam the traffic on 95 north, south, east, and west, up and down. I've collided with the collusion that you cannot have everything. Your art will eventually end with several great ideas scrawled there on paper. Someone else to maim or raise higher than you conceived. Our words will be reimagined for someone else's message. If we're lucky, they'll use it to sell hamburgers or cars or thoughts 20 years from now. Friends, you can have friends until you outgrow what they think you should be in their head. Until the day they boldly tell you that they deserve the pen you write with, the book you're working on, and the song that only costs you a month of swollen eye tears to write. You'd be surprised how many of your good Christian friends made voodoo dolls with pieces of your hair. You'd be surprised at the parts of the book that Melville never wrote about, that told the part of the book where the sailors swabbing the deck started to root for the whale because they weren't Ahab. If you have friends and you have art, never speak of money. The combination of all three could be the closest thing to happiness you'll ever know but too often you'll find yourself in the making of an American tragedy. My name's Raymond Tyler. Wow, wow. An American tragedy, new song, and I'm not a poet. I have a raised eyebrow with that, I'm not a poet. Okay, poet. <laughs> Powerful, thank you. And so next to the stage is Cynthia Ventresca. Uh, thanks. Glad to be here. So I have uh, two short poems that I just wrote in a poetry workshop. So um, thanks for listening. Uh, the first one was written as a sonnet and it's called For You, Dad. Only days before you died, you worried about the weeds and we lied said there would be time and as you bargained with air they asked why you needed to go. You said spring, so many things untended. 30 years of Easter lilies scar the yard, a house unlit and all this rearranging of furniture, all this polishing of that fixing of this leads us back to these spaces, these silent voices 
empty places. Second one was written um, as an obituary for the word sorry. Sorry, as in I'm sorry, died yesterday when you could not summon enough to sweep the shards from the kitchen floor one more shameless time. Used instead of no. Used because you were taught kindness and never learned the difference between holding and carrying. But you have learned that a rubber band stretched too thin does not spring back. You have learned you have your own viruses to burn away and it's okay. You are not the fire. You are not the sacrifice. You are not Jesus. When you drink too much Merlot and wake up at 4 a.m. to a robin chanting mercies through the solitude, it's okay. He asks of you nothing. And it must be said of the word that even broken, it was most beautiful when sung and sung back, like music or an echo, like the echo of music. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Cynthia. I'm, I'm a bit stuck because there's so much that's happening with everything that's being shared, the diversity again of the poetry and of the writing. Coming to the stage next is Van Wallach. Thank you, greetings from Katona, New York. I've been in the workforce for 40 years now and I'm old enough to have seen business attire evolve in dramatic ways. Back when I started, dress codes were strict. I wore dark blue and charcoal suits every day. I think they look, I like to think they made me look a lot like Don Draper, nobody else does. But by the late 1990s, corporate America began to loosen up a little bit. First came casual Fridays, no need to wear a tie, khakis and sports coats were acceptable. Then casual Friday worked out, so then came casual summer, which was a great idea for the hot and sticky months. After that, dress codes started to gradually disintegrate. We went from casual summer to casual all the time to casual plus blue jeans Fridays and finally blue jeans all the time. That is, unless you were client facing and clients wanted to work with people that dress like Don Draper, not the drummer of the Grateful Dead. And with all this happening, I used to joke that the only step left was for work and work attire was for people to wear pajamas and bathrobes to the office. Little did I know that working at home during the pandemic would make pajamas and bathrobes the standard operating attire in the corporate world. I was kidding. I didn't think things would come to this. My current dress code, well, I've got a bathrobe on, my swanky Tommy Bahama bathrobe. I like my jeans and my sweatshirts. But all of these Zoom meetings are making me wonder and rethink what I wear here in my home office. Has my personal dress code become a little too casual? So I started thinking about it and here's my idea and you the audience are gonna be the first ones to hear about this. I'm ditching the bathrobe for 
button downs and art deco ties like I used to wear and used to enjoy. And I'm thinking, well, why not? My ties always add a little splash of color and fur to my dark suits. And I've got a thing for art deco ties. And the great thing is they all come with a story. I got them on vacations. I got them as birthday gifts. The one that I have on right now, you can see, is one of my favorites. It is a Jerry Garcia tie designed by the lead guitarist of Yes, The Grateful Dead. So that's my, my modest act of rock and roll rebellion in the corporate Zoom wars. So, so far, I'm feeling good about Uncasual Friday, as I like to call it, getting dressed up for the home office. I look snappy and it focuses my concentration on the work at hand. I look corporate and I think corporate, even if it's Grateful Dead corporate. So I appreciate this opportunity from the, uh, the museum. And uh, the next time we gather here today, I promise I will be wearing a suit and tie and a button down shirt. I guarantee that. Thank you. So on the side, I love the comments that we're actually making with each other <laughs> to support each other. And I love that someone said, hooray for ties. <laughs> That's so cool. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And so we're down to our last uh, performer, writer, artist is Brian Waters. How are you? Brian Waters from Memphis, Tennessee. I have a poem that I want to give to you. <clears throat> it's called The Real Cause. About a month into basic training, my platoon was coming together so well that our drill sergeants gave us some movie time single file line into the day room, move. So I sit with my squad, a mix of young and old named the Wolfpack. We learned to have each other six through 5.56 with blood, sweat, and time spent. The black screen lights up. Through the looking glass of an army sniper helmet cam in Afghanistan, target acquired, ascending. The trigger clicks, hammer trips, firing pin hits, fuse lights, gunpowder ignites, sending a 50 caliber projectile that hits center mass and splits the target in half. Hua, that's the correct response. Or cheers, even high fives, all of which came from my wolf pack while I'm silently realizing the real cost of freedom is violence, death. And they were just training death dealers. We were being programmed to look past our humanity in order to be better killers. Input change, we're at the shooting range and with an M16, I'm LeBron James, but instead of the first target at 75 feet, I see a Middle Eastern face. My spirit pleads, change the channel, please, while my body just breathes, trigger squeeze, and I shoot the equivalent of a man on his knees. All the way to 300 yards, every target frame by frame, the same nightmare is seen like it's DVD'd. Clenched teeth muffle the volume of my screams, but the soldier of their dreams has his morals muted with no subtitles on. And I've tried to pull the plug more than once because I couldn't turn it off like an uncoded universal remote control. That's what I pay. What do they take from you? And that's that piece. Thank you so much, Brian, for bringing us um, to a close. We heard so much. 
Um, just to do just a, a small recap, I was thinking of all the things that I heard between um, the consequence of freedom, violence, hurt, love, pain, togetherness, silver linings, we all love silver linings, um, forgiveness, riddles, check-ins, feminism from the Bible, um, or being just feminist within and on the outside, and so much more. And then we had people from all over, Tennessee, Maryland, Florida, and of course, Delaware. So just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up to this open mic, our first and definitely not our last. <laughs> and so I'm passing this back over to the one who started us in the beginning. Marissa, it's all yours. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. That was amazing. I am so happy to have hosted all of our amazing writers here on the museum's um, Facebook page. And I do hope that you all join us again in the future as we continue to share our writing. And um, please look up these authors and the books that they have mentioned. Um, what an amazing night. So we're applauding all of you from afar and thank you for watching in your homes. Have a good night, everyone. Night. Shalom, everybody. Good night. Shalom. 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 We're not live anymore, but we're still here if you guys want to chat to each other for a minute. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> good night. Good night. Good to hear everybody. Thank you all. You were amazing. Good night. Stay safe and healthy. <laughs> Brian, I want to read more of you. Friend me on Facebook so I can find you. If I can't seem to find much online. And everyone who has books, put it in the chat. If you're still here, put like, if you're if it's Amazon, however we can get your books, can you put it in the chat? Sure. Okay. Same email too, because I feel like I have questions for certain people. <laughs> so I'm wondering if we're, uh, is that are we all on the same email when you sent it all or is it is it bcc so we wouldn't know i'm um, sorry i'm just making sure the museum is texting me right now oh okay <laughs> are we offline yeah we are okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, did somebody ask me a question yeah i was saying are we all on the same email um or is it BCC? I BCC'd everybody. So okay. if you want everyone in here to have your email address, um, probably put it right here. Put it in the chat. Yeah. Okay. Or I, I guess, I mean, I can send it out to everybody unless somebody has an issue with that. I don't know if everybody's still here. I don't want to. Yeah, maybe just put it in the chat. Yeah, put it in the chat if you want it. And I won't, I'll keep this meeting up for a while now, for like a few more minutes. And um, yeah, there's only 16 people in here. So some people left. Okay. Well, out of luck <laughs> for those people. <laughs> that was awesome. Connie, thank you for reminding us. I feel like I'm having that conversation on a regular basis with my people so that that home hit home. This reminded me of the space I'm in. Yeah, but like this, it, it was amazing. This was like, this is exactly, like it's storming here. Like, so there's thunder and lightning all in my, like creating this ambiance of like, oh, wow. And, and, <laughs> and it's been beautiful. Thank you all so much. Yeah, it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. Oscar, where do you perform? I was saying, I was, where do you? Where oh, yeah, I had commented to you um, um, middle schools, high schools, uh, cultural centers, colleges. I've done a few 
So I'm now I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to take it all to to uh, make it regular, like workshops in schools, and uh, also I do I do a thing that's competitive, also where it's like now I'm finishing writing a play based on that. Whereas uh, kids come in, I'm like this arrogant, I'm like this arrogant teacher that teaches poetry and and then it turns into it turns into this uh, poetry slam meets beat Bobby Flay. Okay. So it gets it gets really, it gets really yeah it gets really fired up. Uh, so it's very interesting because you know, the kids have to imitate me, and I've already done, and they have a great time. My my daughter is like seven, and she loves it. She like she walks around. Her mother has to shake her out of the po- the pirate thing because she's going to school talking like a pirate. You know. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, yeah. that was really amazing yeah. because um, I don't know if you, I don't think you, you're out of state, right? You've probably never visited our museum before, but um, and I have, and I have family in in, uh, in, in Delaware as well as um, in Green, uh, um, Georgetown, in Georgetown. Okay, cool. Well, one of the major collectors that we have, or the the illustrator that our collection is built on, is Howard Pyle, and he was the inspiration for how wow. pirates are seen wow. today, and that's like what Disney studied when they were putting together all of the costumes for Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, Howard Pyle, just incredible. Wow, I never heard of him. I'll look him up. P-I-L-E? Uh, so he is the Y-L-E. that you have that image of pirates in your head today because of his illustration. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's one of my, it's one of my, see, I, was, I grew up, I was like a lot, well, I had like brothers and sisters, but they were like 15, 20 years older. So I grew up by myself. So I, I wound up listening to all these characters and performing from my parents you know they they put they pushed me to like when they got liquored up for my aunts and uncles they would push me out like vaudeville you know so i so i was doing this at a young age and went to school and it saved me i was like one of the few people that could actually do this stuff and not get you know suspended <laughs> they look forward to it so yeah the teacher would say all right let's do business and i'll give you the last five minutes and i would that would tear that five minutes up <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I love entertaining, especially kids, because they're not getting.